It's good to be with you again. Uh, my name is Craig Fondell, and uh, I uh, get an opportunity to, to be here some of the time. I haven't been here in a while. I've been traveling a lot for the last couple of months, but uh, um, I know that this is a, a tremendous congregation, lovely place to worship, and uh, it's a real privilege to be here. And uh, um, I'd like to begin with just a word of prayer. Oh, Lord, our God, in whose love we are born, in whose mercy we live, in whose grace we are saved, in whose spirit we are renewed and transformed, our worship rises to you today. We give you thanks for gifts given, for times enjoyed and persons loved, moments shared. We thank you for memories savored and for plans fulfilled, health experienced, friends cherished. We praise you for salvation extended, hope renewed, and faith found. Receive our adoration and gratitude today, and may the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. I'd like to read to you a text for the morning. It comes to us from Luke 16. Verses 13 through 14 and 19 through 31. I'm reading from the New King James Version. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, also heard all these things, and they derided him. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared, sumptu fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass on to us. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded through one who rises from the dead. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Thanks be to God. So one day Jesus was teaching about finances. And he made this statement, no servant can serve two masters. 
You're going to have to go one way or the other. No one can try to serve both God and money because money will try to control you. Luke 16, 14 says the Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. Literally, the phrase is they turned up their noses at him. Ken Bailey, a great New Testament scholar, says this is a gesture of disdain that is used in the Middle East to this day. It involves a slight tip, tilt of the head and a raising of the eyebrows to indicate condescension and derision. But Jesus was not so easily intimidated. So he told them a story. Jesus says there was a rich man who dressed himself in purple and fine linen and feasted sumptuously in luxury every day. Now why is this guy dressed in purple every day? Well, in the ancient world, purple was the most expensive kind of dyed fabric. Only the really wealthy could afford it. The idea is that he wanted to make sure that everybody knew that he had money. So every day he would go to his closet and he would say, hmm, think I'll wear purple today. He enjoyed the gratification he got from having people know that he was a very successful guy. Fine linen refers to high-quality Egyptian cotton that was used for undergarments that nobody could see. Jesus is telling us what was really important to this particular man. He feasted sumptuously every day. This tells us that the man did not strictly observe the Sabbath. His servants were never given a day of rest when the holy day rolled around. Maintaining his lifestyle meant more to him than honoring the law of God. Now, meanwhile, at his gate, laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. A little pop quiz here. Can anybody come up with a name of any other character in any other parable that Jesus said? In all the parables, not a single person, prodigal son, elder brother, father, good Samaritan, Levite, priest, farmer, host, master, servants, shepherd, every character in every story that Jesus ever told is anonymous, except one. Why is that? I want you to think about going to a fancy event if an incredibly wealthy, successful guy shows up and an uneducated, unemployed, shabby guy shows up, whose name does everybody remember? Usually the high status guy. The one character in all the stories that Jesus ever told who gets a name is the homeless, diseased, penniless beggar Lazarus. Now, Lazarus is a Hebrew name that means the one God helps. Ironic, isn't it? He doesn't look like the one God helps. Lazarus looks like the one God forgot. Every day, Lazarus lies at the gate of this rich man. Every day, the rich man feasts 
while Lazarus sees the guests and hears the party and smells the food and longs to be fed with the scraps that fall from the rich man's table. This means that Lazarus would love to eat from the garbage. I don't have to connect the dots here, but I'm going to anyway. We live in a world where 2.6 billion people live on less than $2 a day. I want you to think about your life if you lived on $2 a day. You can see the parallels. Jesus wants us to remember Lazarus' name. He wants us to remember the desperately poor in our world, in our, in our country, in our community. Every day, the rich man would come out of his house and he would walk right past Lazarus and keep right on going. He saw, he knew, he did nothing. What was he thinking? Well, maybe he thought, I deserve my wealth. I earned it. I earned it by my own intelligence, my own hard work. If there's somebody else who has less than me, well, they just didn't work hard enough for it. Why should I give my stuff away? Or maybe the rich man got pestered by beggars a lot. Maybe he got tired of all the need and all the hurt until he finally stopped noticing. I'll tell you what he didn't think. He never thought, God, what are you doing in the world? And how can I be part of it? He never thought, God, what do you see when you look at Lazarus? So let's look at Lazarus for a moment. The text says, at his gate was laid a beggar doesn't say a beggar came to his gate. See, Lazarus is so sick, so disabled, that he could not move himself. Living in our day, a disability can be terribly traumatic. But in Jesus' day, disability was usually fatal. This man was laid at the gate. That means that he has some friends who would care for him, and every morning they would take him to the gate. Every morning they would think, maybe today is the day that that guy with all of that wealth will see, will be moved in his heart, will be doing something for our friend. And every night they would pick Lazarus up and take him someplace to sleep. And they would think, maybe tomorrow. Jesus says, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Sounds a little gross, doesn't it? Why would Jesus put that in the story? In Israel, people were pretty unsentimental about dogs. Dogs were scavengers. They were regarded as nearly as unclean as pigs. Nobody had a dog in a, as a pet in the ancient world. But dogs will lick their own wounds because they actually have what are called endogenous peptide antibodies in their saliva that will actually bring healing. So in the ancient world, people noticed that wounds that dogs licked tended to get better. 
So certain dogs were actually trained to lick open wounds and sores, and a fee would be paid to their owners. Dogs licked Lazarus's sores. Now I know right now the question is kind of whirling in your minds. Why does Jesus not have cats in this story? <laughs> I hate to break it to you, but Jesus did not like cats. <laughs> it's just the truth. We might as well face up to it right now. It's in the Bible. Lazarus has these poor friends to carry him. He has dogs to lick his sores. And he longs to eat the garbage that gets thrown out by the rich man who has so much. And Jesus says, the poor man died and was carried by angels to Abraham's bosom. Abraham's bosom. Kind of an odd phrase. It's actually a technical term that involved a feast. In Jesus' day, if you went to a party, you would recline at a really low table. And you would lean on your left elbow. And you would eat with your right hand. And there would usually be a guest of honor at that feast. And the person who was being celebrated would be at the right hand of the host. And that means that the guest of honor would be reclining on his left elbow and his head would be right about at the chest of the host. So one of the images of heaven was that Abraham, the father of Israel, would be the host at the great banquet. And that means that Lazarus, this poor guy, would be the guest of honor seated at the bosom of Abraham. Anybody ever hear an old song, a spiritual called Rock my soul in the bosom of Abraham. Slaves would sing that song when they heard that Jesus told the story about a powerless, penniless beggar who was the guest of honor at the feast of heaven in the bosom of Abraham. And the rich, powerful guy ended up in hell. This was actually an early protest song. If you're a rich slave owner and you hear your slave singing, Rock My Soul in the Bosom of Abraham, you should get a little uneasy. This is the only time that that phrase, Abraham's bosom, is used in all of the New Testament. So the rich man also died, and he was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus in his bosom. Now Jesus is not teaching that in the afterlife people in hell will get split-screen, real-time views of what's going on in heaven. Or that there is going to be some kind of a long-distance conversation between people in hell and people in heaven. There is this long and ancient tradition in the Middle East of what are sometimes called pearly gates stories about the afterlife. So Jesus is telling a pearly gate story. He's not teaching that people in hell can see into heaven. However, Jesus is teaching here that there is a heaven and there is a hell. And real human beings will end up in one place or the other for all eternity. 
And hell is not God's will for human beings. He made a way for that great debt of sin to be set right through forgiveness, through grace, available to us. Not because of anything we do, but as a free gift through the life, the teaching, the death on the cross, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So now in this story, the great crisis moment is coming. There is this party going on in heaven, and the rich man sees that there is a guest of honor, but to his surprise, it's not him. And Jesus' listeners wonder, how will he respond to this spiritual reality that is being revealed? How will he react when he sees that he's wasted his life? How will he apologize to Lazarus? How will he confess his greed and inhumanity? And Jesus tells us what the rich man says. Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. This is actually quite stunning. Even after this great reversal, there is no expression of remorse, no repentance, no begging of Lazarus for forgiveness. It turns out that he actually does recognize Lazarus after all. But he says nothing to the man that he ignored all those years. The implication is, even in hell, he doesn't stoop to speak to somebody so far beneath him. When you're an important guy, you go right to the top. Abraham is the high-status guy. Abraham is in a position to do this rich guy some good, so he appeals to him as Father Abraham. Now, the rich man is actually claiming status here as a member, a loyal son of Israel. In the ancient Near East, the patriarch, the head of the family, would be expected to come to the service of a family member in need. So the rich man, he sees himself as entitled to this. Father Abraham, now that Lazarus is on his feet, he might as well be put, put to some use. Like a little service around here. I'm acutely aware of my pain and I don't like it, so send around your man to fetch me some water. When Lazarus was in agony, the rich guy did nothing. Now that he is in pain, he wants Lazarus to come serve him. Doesn't even pretend to be sorry. It's a weird thing about wealth. When it becomes your God, it not only destroys your own humanity, but it destroys your capacity to see the humanity of others. They become an abstraction. Yeah, send them down here. I'd like a little water. You would expect Lazarus to explode. You see my face. You know my name. All those years you did nothing for me. And now you expect me to leave heaven and come to hell to serve you? You must be out of your purple turban mind. I'm going to find a thermostat to that place and turn it up as high as it goes. 
Lazarus says nothing. Abraham instead responds, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross from there to us. Now Abraham doesn't say, remember in your lifetime, you earned good things. Remember in your lifetime, you deserved good things. Remember in your lifetime, by all of your hard work and diligence and intelligence, well, you were a self-made man. No, Abraham says, you received your good things. Money will try to convince me that I am superior and entitled to what I have. Money will try to make me less desperate for God. Money will try to help me forget that I am a sinner saved by grace that I didn't deserve. Every gift I have, my body, my mind, my soul, my education, my experiences, my relationships, my resources, everything is a gift from God. I didn't earn any of it. So the idea that somehow I have what's coming to me and I can let the rest of the world earn its own way, well, that's just sin. Philip Jenkins may be the premier chronicler of the church's history and its expansion in this century. He says that the single most striking change in our day is that 100 years ago, 80% of all followers of Jesus lived in Europe and the United States and the West. In one century, about 70% of all followers of Jesus live in the Southern Hemisphere, South America, Africa, and Southern Asia. Christianity is flourishing wonderfully among the poor and persecuted, while it atrophies among the rich and secure. The rich man does not remember or repent. Instead, he has one more errand for Lazarus. Let him go tell my brothers. If someone rises from the dead and goes to my brothers, they will listen. And Abraham says to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. So Jesus is telling this story to the Pharisees who loved money. And they wouldn't listen to Jesus. Jesus gave them so many signs. The most dramatic one was when the brother of Mary and Martha got sick and died and Jesus raised him from the dead. Anybody remember what that guy's name was? Lazarus. So God would send one more resurrection. When there was a vast chasm between God and me, and it was caused by my sin, there was someone 
who wanted to go from heaven all the way down to help me. And that someone was Jesus. And he died for my sins and he died for your sins. And he was raised for our hope and for our eternal life. Paul writes in 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19, in light of what Jesus has done, tell those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. Be rich in good deeds, be generous, be willing to share. In this way, you will lay up treasures for yourselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that you may take hold of the life that is truly life. No one can serve two masters, God and money. Money will tell you that if you hold it tightly, it will give you the life that is truly life. But it can't, and it won't. Only Jesus can give you that. As we take hold of Jesus, money becomes something to share. And then we will find that we don't get less life. We get more. Let it be so. Please pray with me. Loving Creator, You've blessed us with the beauty of the earth. In gratitude, we respond by blessing the world through the good stewardship of all that you have made. You have blessed us with an unconditional love. In gratitude, we respond by blessing others with compassion and concern. We've been blessed with physical health that we all too often take for granted. In gratitude, we respond by caring for our bodies and by lifting up those who are sick and hurting. We have been blessed with human love expressed by our families and with our friends. In gratitude, we respond by reaching out to the alienated and alone. We have been blessed in this church family. In gratitude, we respond by keeping this congregation growing and vital that we might be a blessing to a broken world. Lord God, we bring intercessions for those whose sadness and grief hides them from light and joy. We plead for those whose health is broken. We ask for your protection and provision for servicemen and women stationed in perilous places around the world. We pray too for missionaries who serve diligently to accomplish the Great Commission. Cause us to surround these with our prayer and our support and our solidarity. We raise before you friends and loved ones whose marriages and families have been weighed down by financial and relational and time pressures. Lord, the great responsibility of leading our nation rests heavily upon our leaders' shoulders. Cause them to have courage and integrity in every decision, every consideration, most of all, may they seek wisdom and assurance and your presence in all that they do. Lord, you're a blessing God 
In gratitude, we respond to your call to bless others for the furtherance of your kingdom and the glory of your name. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.